starting our Lent season. We actually started it on our Ash Wednesday service. We had a great joint Ash Wednesday service with our partnership churches. We've been, some of you guys don't know, but we've been, we've been developing relationships with about four local churches for a couple years now, and those relationships keep getting better. We're actually going to start putting things on the calendar even a year in advance now, and so that's kind of cool. I'm looking at ways to serve together and do some of these kind of bigger services together. Um, um, so we're starting Lent this week. Our theme verse around Lent, Lent is a season to, um, it probably gets a bad rap as some kind of like, you know, you have to like fast for a whole season and not eat any food and and uh, and just every day wallowing your sin or something like that. But the idea is, is, the idea is to focus our hearts on our need for the cross, our need for redemption, to get in touch with how we can distract ourselves so easily from our need to find redemption and hope and life in the cross of Jesus Christ instead of the things of the world. So even the idea of fasting, we'll talk about a little bit today, is to, is to remind ourselves of our need, to remind ourselves of the joy of what God has already given us, right? And even scientists say that how good fasting is for you because it remind even if you were because it remind it helps your body remember the good things that you have right now already provided in your life that you don't need more you know that what we we already have, God has already provided for us so our theme verse is from Hebrews chapter one and two chapter twelve verses one and two sorry it says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that our idea here is that we throw off our, the, the weights and the burdens and the sins of life around us. Why? So that we can pursue with joy the life that God has given us. We pursue even the suffering that God has laid out for us in this season of life. Because in pursuing that suffering, we are pursuing the will of God. We're, we're going to say, I'm not going to try to soothe my suffering with sin. I'm going to try to be satisfied by God in the midst of whatever challenges I'm facing here so that I might find the will and joy of God. Jesus it says He pursued the cross with joy. It was an instrument of death and suffering, but he pursued it with joy because it brought redemption and life to us. God has a season for us for that too. For us to, to look at the season that we're in. It's a, Lent is also called a journey sometimes, and it pictures two journeys. It pictures the, we're going to start today. It pictures the journey of the wilderness that we've often seen in the scriptures. Jesus is going. It pictures this idea that we are we are not in the promised land yet. We have not life is not perfect. Life will not be perfect in this life. We have challenges, but God provides in this wilderness just like He provided for Israel in the desert. God will provide for us, and we need to recognize that that God's provision is what is most important when you're in the desert, not what you don't have in the desert. It's what God has already given you in the desert. You see Israel in the a classic, I think, such a hilarious part of the story where they want to go back to Egypt to get cucumbers and leeks. All God's providing them miraculous bread in the desert to lead them to the promised land. 
They don't want to not go to the promised land. They want to go back into slavery to get something that they desire in that moment that they think that is best for them. That is so much the way life works. I was talking to a counselor this week about life, and I happened to bring up the idea of, of brokenness, people, broken people hurting each other. And he, and he had an interesting perspective. He said, um, he says, when people are hurting inside, they, almost, they will almost always act out in a way that just starts to destroy their life. Especially the more acute your pain is, you will almost, he says the humans, and this, is, this was a non-Christian counselor, so he's just being very matter-of-fact about it, they will almost always act out in a way that destroys their life. Their own life, people around them's life, they will hurt people. That classic adage, hurt people, hurt people. Right? And it's an interesting way to think about temptation, and, and as we face to look at the temptation story of Jesus today, it's actually quite fitting that we are all tempted to soothe our pain, to soothe our suffering in a way that destroys ourselves or other people around us. That is almost the heart of temptation, is to soothe your pain or to pursue a desire that God has not satisfied in that moment in a way that hurts yourself or hurts others around you. Every temptation works like that. Either to soothe pain or to get a des- or to get a desire that you do not currently have satisfied in your life. Because people don't become have affairs or become alcoholics or start embezzling money. Over, these things don't happen overnight. They all happen to get something that someone wants to soothe the pain, to get a, an unmet need or desire in someone's life, and so. And what, one of the things that happens in our life is when we're hurting, we want to mask that pain. And Lent is this season where we say, I'm going to enter into that pain. And I'm not, I'm going to, instead of trying to find ways to justify my behavior or to blame someone else, I'm going to learn how to take an inventory of what's going on in my own heart so that I might find the joy of healing and redemption and find that God can satisfy me and provide manna in the desert. And all other forms of satisfaction outside of God's will will hurt me and will hurt other people. So awareness of that and a recognition of that, that I will, I will walk fearlessly into my brokenness so that I can find healing. And to find it for myself and to find it for the people around me. Because my hurt, when I hurt myself, I hurt others around me in the process too. So today we're going to look at the temptation story of from, from Matthew chapter 4. I think it's pretty much, you know, I don't know a ton about Lent. It's all new to me, really. But everything I read, pretty much every tradition starts with the temptation story of Jesus Christ in the desert. That's what we're going to look at today. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. To look at how we can expect temptation. We can look at the nature of that temptation. And we can look at that we all have, we have the exact same resources that Jesus had to overcome temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When the devil took him, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple 
and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands he will, will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So, three things I want to look at today. The first thing, is that we can expect temptation in life. Like I kind of already alluded to, that when you are hurting, you will be tempted. When you are have an unmet need or desire, whether it is perceived or real, often it is not necessarily a real need, but when it feels like a real need, you will be tempted. Today we're looking at this temptation from the, from the devil, but we can also think of temptation as broader than that. I don't know if the devil's tempting you or if it's just your flesh or the culture that we're around, but the idea is we are all tempted to go outside of the will of God when we are facing des unmet desires and suffering. We, all, something will be, we will be drawn to something. And we do have a real enemy, the devil, who will entice us, who will send temptation our way. Temptation is a normal part of life. And here's the interesting thing. If you're experiencing temptation, it does not mean that you are, are somehow not favored by God. The temptation is a normal part of being a, a, a child of God who is walking in righteousness. It is not, you will never reach a stage of life where you are not tempted by sin. Notice that Jesus, just before the story, he has the, one of the pinnacle experiences of his life probably as a human being. He goes to, the, to, the, to John the Baptist. He is baptized in the Jordan River. He is, he, as he comes up out of the water, it, there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes down on him in the form of a dove. That's a pretty power. If you think about how, I mean, that is a powerful spiritual experience. You have a voice from heaven, you know, the Holy Spirit filling your life in a way that's, so so powerful that God just chose chooses to manifest that as a dove coming down and resting upon you to make it very clear what He's doing in His Son's life. Jesus. And Jesus, in that the next thing that happens in the story is He is led by the Spirit to the desert to be tempted and to fast for forty days and forty nights. It's very. It's very interesting, uh, you know, that, that when when life is hard, we tend to think things like, "God, you must be holding out on me," or "I must have done something wrong." But when life is hard, it might just be the exact situation that where God has planted you to glorify Him and serve Him, and that God often brings us to, even to places of temptation. Why to teach us how to? feed on him in the desert places. Right? I don't know I don't know why I don't know actually why any of us are where we are right now. There's all kinds of reasons why you might be exactly where you are today. It might be because of something you did wrong. It might be a temptation of the Lord. It might, you might be in a great season where you're not in the desert and you're like I don't want to go through land. This is I'm going through a great season of life. I'm going 
But wherever season we are, we go through the ups and downs of life and God is with us in all of those places. And sometimes God often even leads us to a place where we are not in want. I mean, we're not in plenty, but we're in want. We're not in spiritual victory, but we're in spiritual temptation. Because God is teaching us something in those spaces and revealing something about our, His purpose for our life and what He's doing in our life. So you will experience temptation. You can expect it in life. If the Son of God experienced temptation, you will experience temptation. Second, how will we be tempted? Jesus was tempted like we are tempted. This is actually from Hebrews. says that He was tempted in all the ways that we are tempted. So let's be very clear first off the bat that this is not that Jesus, when He becomes, and this is the summary of what the incarnation means. I'm not can't get into all in of, any of it. When God becomes man, He lays aside His his attributes as God and chooses to not use them. He still has all of them. So when he's in this moment, he's not like into some like he's not fasting for 40 days, but he's like snapping his fingers and be like, I'm not gonna feel hungry. Right? It's like he's not he's feeling all of what it would feel like to be a human being to fast for 40 days, which by the way is physically possible for most human beings to do without experiencing any permanent damage. But it is definitely not easy. I don't. I don't know if I would. I would not recommend that, <laughs> unless God. Unless God is very clear, that's what God wanted you to do. So he's at, and and so God. So he experiences real temptation, and I think God, in a way, gives he, these temptations. Experience is meant to be a demonstration that Jesus experiences temptation like us. Many people will look at this story and say. This is a parallel between Adam and Eve experiencing temptation in the garden. right? And so where Adam and Eve failed as our first parents and brought sin and death into the world, Jesus is going experiencing the same kind of temptation and He's not going to give into it so that He can lead us to life and redemption in Christ. Or it's similar to Israel in the wilderness experiencing temptation and they fail miserably, but where, but where Israel failed failed, Jesus is not going to fail. And as we'll see in our next point, we get to experience that victory and have more resources to face temptation in our life. So notice how temptation works. Because after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Kind of obvious point. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Notice that temptation always hits you where you are vulnerable. Temptation always hits you in a spot of vulnerability. It wouldn't be a temptation if it wasn't hitting a spot of vulnerability in your life, enticing you with something where you feel weak. It has to... The nature of temptation is it's you actually want it at that point in your life. He was hungry. He wanted to eat. He says, why don't you turn some stones to bread if you're the Son of God? You can obviously do that. What's the big deal? It's just turning stones to bread. Does God not want you to eat? He was doing something so mundane. There's nothing inherently sinful even about eating bread, right? God doesn't have anything against bread. So it's notice the, na- the nature is he's exposing a vulnerability in his life. He's coming out of vulnerability and saying, while he's physically depleted, while he's alone in the desert, while he's in a hard place, he's saying, 
do something outside of the will of God. Satisfy yourself in a way that would not please God. And that's how God works in our life. He'll come to you. That you're really most tempted in times when you are physically depleted, in times when you're alone, in times when you are in a place of suffering. Those will, you can expect those to be your seasons where you'll be most tempted. And notice the second thing he does. He says, if you are the Son of God, this is the nature of all of the three temptations. Satan, what he does, I, love what, I think J.D. Greer said this, he says, Satan tries to get you to put a question mark where God has put a period. Satan tries to get you to put a question mark where God has put a period. He says, if you are the Son of God, like kind of have this idea, prove that you're the Son of God. Or, are you really the Son of God? God has just said in the, in the Scripture that he, is this, that he is His beloved Son. And all of these temptations, God is trying to get him to question the Word of God. What is the truth? What is the right way to go? Question God's will. God has revealed who He is. God has revealed His will for our lives. God has revealed what is good, right, and perfect. And we and Satan wants to come and put instead of that being a period, he wants to make that a question mark. Did God? It's like we came to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that you can't eat from the tree? Putting a question mark where God clearly did say, right? Twisting the truth he does in the story, as we'll talk about. Getting people to question God's character when we know it's been revealed and God has been good to us. So the first temptation there, when he says command these stones to become bread, what's the temptation there specifically is to doubt that God will feed you when you are hungry. The first temptation is to doubt that God will feed you when you're hungry. It is to, it is to doubt God's provision and love. That you're in a place of hunger. And I mean that metaphorically. It might doesn't have to be literal hunger. But you're in a place where you have what is an unmet need, potentially. Like here is actually a need to eat. If he goes much longer, he will need supernatural sustenance because he will actually start to die. You, so it could be you're in a season where you have a need. You could be in a, week, a season like that. I mean, everybody who's been single past 20, 21 knows what that's like to have needs, to want to be, to want to have a companion, to want to be married, to want to have sex, to want, you know, to want these, these basic things of life. And you're in that space. There's going to, it's going to be, it's to say, God, are you good that you have not provided me this? Or you could be married and you get married. Right? What happens, married couples? And then you have needs that your spouse or wants or desires that your spouse doesn't meet is the way you were hoping they would meet them. So there's a new set of temptation, right? Like you have this need, you have this want, you have this hunger, you have this desire that is going unmet, and, and temptation will come your way to say, well, you could meet it in this other way outside of God's will for your life. because And it's to put a question mark on God's love and provision and ability to provide for you in that space. I've heard this many, many times. How can you ask someone to obey God if it will cause them to not get something that they want or need? And it's, and it's at the heart of that is saying, will not God in that complicated space find a way to provide supernatural bread in their desert? That is the question. Does God provide manna in the desert? Does God find a way to provide for you in places of suffering and need and want? Yes. 
because we live in a broken world where you will not have all of your needs satisfied by this world. You will never have all of your needs for love and, and, and for care and to be valued by people. You will, ne- you will never have all of the money that you might want or need to do the things that you desire. You'll never have a life that's free from suffering in this world. And in those spaces, we are tempted to say, I need to provide for myself outside of the will of God. I should, com- I should distrust God's love and complain bitterly like Israel did in the desert and say, you are not a good God. To not trust the provision that He has provided for us in Jesus Christ. To not go to Him and say, I'm hungry, God, but I'm trusting You to provide for me in this space. That You are my provider, but I am not my provider. You are my provider. And most often when we are hungry, we are so tempted to say, how can I find food that is not the food that God has given me? How can I provide for myself? It's really at the heart of this is to reorder our priorities. Jesus is saying bread is good, but the bread of life is a lot better. That's what he says when he responds. He says that man shall not live by bread, but, you know, he says, sorry, let me, let me quote it better. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's, what he's saying is, yes, bread's good, Satan, but the, but the bread of God is better. And I'm going to, I am going to feast on the bread of God first and let Him provide whatever He provides for me in this space. There's this temptation to reorder our priorities and to make lesser things the priority. To say what is most important right now is for me to be sexually satisfied or what's most important for me right now is to find companionship. What is most important for me right now is to have more money or what is most important for me right now is to, I don't know, whatever it is that you're desiring. But, and to say, and to, to say what's not what is most important is God is to reorder our priorities and to make the things of this world more important than God. Think about, uh, think about the seasons in our marriages that we might go through. There's that temptation in those hard seasons that instead of trusting God's plan to go outside of your marriage to satisfy yourself or to want to exit from the marriage to satisfy yourself. Or think about kids. Kids is another great temptation in our life to reorder our priorities. Because kids are good, right? They're, they're a gift from God. But there is always this temptation to say kids come first. You will hear many people in the church say that. My family comes first. That is literally a reordering of your priorities. Because the Scriptures say God and His Word comes first. And we have to trust Him to provide for us. How many of us freak out because we are in a kid-first mentality and, and our kids go through a life that's broken and complicated and it drives us absolutely insane trying to provide for them in the desert of life. Because we feel like we have to provide for them. So there is no way maybe for God to provide for them at that public school because they are teaching things that are not from God's Word. And we freak out and we do all kinds of things in our life and, and do not trust the Lord and live in a life of anxiety and fear because they're teaching something that we don't want our kids to be taught to not trust that in that desert space that God can provide for me as a parent and for my kids because ultimately they're His kids. 
We do this with our finances. This is one of the number one reasons why finances are so complicated to talk about because I want to hold on to my finances to do what I want with them, to satisfy, because money is one of the number one ways we provide for ourselves. Am I trusting the Lord with my finances? What He, that being my first priority, so many ways. Again, I can translate into the kids too. If kids are the first priority, then what are you going to spend your money on? The kids. And it will all be in the name of taking care of the kids, which sounds very great. We have to ask in our hearts, have I made the Lord the first priority? And I don't know where you're at. This is where we have to examine our own hearts. There's so many ways in which we are tempted to put something above God in importance, to compromise our integrity for the things of the world. That's the first temptation. We try to feed ourselves when we are hungry instead of letting the Lord feed us. The second temptation is to twist the truth for personal gain. To twist the truth for personal gain. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This a big part of this is probably going on that Jesus is the Messiah, right? He is God's chosen one. And he's saying, look, you could you do this miraculous thing at the temple in front of all of the people and promote yourself. This would be like the greatest promotion you could do. Be, it's kind of like this. This would be the fastest way to fame and fortune. Jesus, do this. Jump from the temple and save yourself miraculously. It's like Jesus, fly and, and shoot laser beams out of your eyes so that everybody knows that you really are the Son of God, right? Like it's this. It's this do something miraculous. Do something powerful. Do something to promote yourself, Jesus. Because don't you want to be, because you are the rightful King of Kings, you want people to glorify and worship you, Jesus, right? As, as the rightful King of Kings. So do something miraculous and spectacular. And he uses the Scriptures, notice. Satan starts quoting Scripture. He's like, Jesus, Jesus quotes some Scriptures. Satan's like, I can quote, quote some Scripture too. And he even quotes scripture to try to get him to do something outside of the will and plan of God for his life. It's, that's it. It's the, the temptation to twist the truth for personal gain. How many times have we, have we maybe in our hearts, either not wanted to follow the scriptures because it goes against what we really want, or maybe we find a way to start interpreting the scriptures to get what we really want? To twist the truth based on our circumstances or maybe on our feelings or maybe on what we want, what you get out of this. I heard this sales tactic this week. Somebody illustrated this with the, a common sales tactic is to do this very thing, is to manipulate a, something good that people want and then to press on that in someone's life so that you make them feel really guilty for not buying their products. So for example, an insurance salesman <laughs> said that that he would go into someone's house and, and in front of his family, he would really press the person basically by saying, if you really care about your family is the, is the sales pitch, then you would get this insurance. And then when they say their first, if they say no, he'll go so far as to say in front of his wife and kids, are you telling me that your family isn't worth 50 cents a day? Right? Something like, it's the idea of twisting the truth, twisting what's good and right to get something that you want. And 
Satan uses this tactic in our life, or our flesh uses this tactic in our life. It's this idea that where we come to our, our hearts and we're saying, doesn't God want you to be happy? Doesn't God want you to be happy? And then fill in the blank with all kinds of crazy talk, right? All kinds of things that are not, I shouldn't call it crazy, that's disrespectful to our hearts, what's going on. But how you can go a lot of different directions with that, doesn't God want you to be happy, right? If you're not happy in where you're at, it's a, it's a way to say, I'm going to exit from where I'm at to get to somewhere where I could be happy. Right? Doesn't God want you to be happy? You're, you're miserable in your marriage. I've heard this before. So, so then God wants, must want me to get a divorce because I'm miserable in this place. Because God would never want me to be miserable for the rest of my life. And there's multiple twists there. Because First of all, you're saying for the rest of your life as if there's no hope for redemption. And it's elevating your happiness in your marriage above being a display of God's faithfulness in your marriage and God's love in your marriage. And I get marriage is complicated. I'm not trying to say I know every situation in every marriage. But you can see the temptation in life. God wants you to be happy, right? This new job would make you more money. So go ahead and move away from your or move to New York and work 60 hours a week to make to get this new job where you'll make $200,000 a year or whatever it might be. It might not, I don't know if that's wrong for you, but it's a, but when we center things on our happiness instead of God's will, we can easily twist the truth. The idea that God, we can say, doesn't God want you to have the necessities or the good things in life? So it's tax season, and there's going to be a temptation for some people to eat on their taxes because God wants you to have the good things in life, or you're going to use that money for good purposes. Well, I'm going to tithe it, God. I don't know what you might say to yourself. There's all kinds of temptation in life to twist the truth to get something that you want. Because in general, we're not tempted to do bad things just for the sake of it. We're tempted to do something outside of God's will to get something that might be actually good, or that might be something we genuinely want, or to meet a genuine point of suffering in our life. And so Jesus tempts, Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus doesn't tempt Jesus, Satan tempts Jesus to jump, to prove that he's the Messiah, right? It's not something wrong, but it's something outside of God's will for his life at that point. The second temptation is to twist the truth to get something you want. The third temptation is similar, is to take a shortcut to achieve God's will for your life. Well, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only serve him. And him only shall you serve. This is a shortcut to achieve God's will. God's will for Jesus' life was to be the king of kings and lord of lords. The temptation for Jesus here is to become the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords without having to go through the cross. And the cost is to say, I will worship you, Satan, instead of God. Now, several things crazy wrong with this, but it also shows us a very unique thing about the way temptation works. Again, he's pursuing something good. He's saying, pursue something, he's saying, accomplish what God has called you to do in life, but do it in a way that would circumvent the way God wants you to go through it. Very, very often, God wants things for your life, good things for your life, but 
Very often they require you going through a path of challenge and suffering to get to that place. Jesus was going to become King and Kings and Lord of Lords and be exalted to the right hand of the Father, but that path was to go to the cross and His death first. Isn't that, That's actually a great principle in life. So many people want to do something glorious and good with their life, but they aren't willing to go through a hard season to get there. Like I want to, like they might want to be a great provider for their family and have this vision that I have these dreams and these aspirations, but they don't want to go through the hard work to get to build up to that place. They just want it to be handed to them. And we will be tempted along that way to, if that's our mentality, to find shortcuts to get the money that we want or to get the position, to get the position that we want in life, to get people to, to honor us. We might, we might find ways to do that in ways that are shortcutting not having to go through the actual process of building real character in our life to get to the place where God wants us to be. At the heart of it, though, he's saying, go around the will of God to get what you want or need. That there's things in our life sometimes that we want so bad that we, that we are tempted to prioritize those over serving the Lord and walking the path that he has given us in this moment in life. And notice about this temptation that he, Satan is promising something. There's two interesting things. First of all, he's promising something that God's actually already given Jesus. He's promising him to be, to be king of kings, to be ruler of the world. God's already given him that. It's often a tactic God says Satan uses in our life. He's, prom- he's saying, you know, you basically, you already are an image bearer that glorifies God and reflects His character. You already have, He already has given you good things in your life, and it's this idea that, well, if you if you serve Me, if you go outside of God's will, I will I will give you more, or I'll give you the things that God's already promised to have in your life. And Satan in this is promising way more than he can actually deliver on, because the life that God had promised for Jesus was not going to happen by worshiping Satan. Right? This is what happens. Satan comes to us, or temptation comes to us, and it says, if you do these things, you'll be happy. If you do these things, you'll have peace of mind. If you do these things, it will soothe your pain. Isn't this how so many addictions work in life? Saying, if you drink, you will be happy. You'll be, but it's just a temporary fix that ends up making you enslaved. If you, if you, if you seek this, this life, maybe there's a temptation in our life sometimes to to belittle other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. But it's not ultimately the path to get the life that you want. The path to unforgiveness and bitterness. Satan's promising what he cannot actually give. But in God, we actually have that manna in the desert that God provides for us and finds a way for us in each of our temptations in life unique to us to find a way to actually be satisfied by Him and to be able to walk through that temptation. So I want to look at the resources that we have. We have the same resources that Jesus had to overcome temptation. This is quite beautiful to think about. This actually flows very well out of our series on, on what we have in Christ, our, our theme for the year, our hope that, that, the, that Christ in us is the hope of glory, that we now, because we have been been saved by God. We have been forgiven of our sins. We've been adopted. We are now been incorporated into Jesus Christ. We are, we are in relationship. Jesus walks with us. We have 
We now have all the resources that Jesus had, we have in our life. So every way in which Jesus was able to overcome temptation, we have all of those same resources right now. I want to think about that for a second. Like there, that, that we can overcome temptation because we are in Christ. He says in verse 10, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Four things that Jesus had. Four things that he had. First, he had the word. He had God's word. And all of these temptations he overcomes by trusting in God's word. By trusting in what God has revealed about who he is, about what he's done for us, about what God says about who he is and what his plan for his life is. And each one of these temptations, he's trusting the word of God. And I don't I don't think this means that like when you're experiencing temptation, you gotta find the perfect verse to like say to Satan or something like that. The idea is that are we are we resting, are we trusting in the truth of God? The temptations are always to come out to walk away from the truth about who we are in God. Think about the, the nature of what just happened before this temptation. When I say the word of God, I'm speaking of the resources you have as being a child of God. And Jesus like Jesus' baptism in John chapter 3 is your baptism. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we are baptized, right? We, we, Jesus didn't have any sin, but we have, but he was symbolically demonstrating for us what happens to us. We go down into the water. We are, we are, we are, our sins are die in the water. They die in the grave. We come up to complete new life. And God says to us, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am now well pleased. That is the, what happens to you when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That you can have assurance in the midst of whatever you are going through. You can have confidence to know I am God's beloved son or daughter. I don't know why I'm in this place. I don't know why these needs are going unmet. I don't know why I want this thing so bad right now. But I know that I have a provider because God is the perfect provider and I am not some kind of lesser person in His life. I'm not cursed. I am not someone in His life that He's like, well, you really screwed up, so I'm not going to provide for you. I am in Christ, His beloved child. God looks at me and provides for me like He would provide for Jesus Christ, His true Forgotten Son. I, He provides for me like that. I can know no matter what I'm facing, that's what it means to rest on God's Word. To trust that everything about God's character is true and all of His glorious character comes to your life with generosity and provision. All of what who He is is available to you because you're now in perfect relationship with Him in Jesus Christ. You overcome by resting on those truths. I don't know why I'm going through a season where I don't, where it feels like we can barely have enough money, but I know God will lead me and guide me and provide for me in this space. I don't know why I'm going through a season where, my, where, where our church is like the way it is, where people have left, or, or, or I'm not sure what the future faces, but I know Jesus Christ, what does the Word says? That this is His church, and it will not be defeated. But it will glorify Him to the ends of the earth. I know that truth. And so I rest on that and I can come every single Sunday even if there was four of you. And I will worship. And if the Lord has given me to preach, I will preach. 
I love a preacher friend of mine. He said one week he showed up, he was planting a church, and there was no one there but his kids. And he said, kids, sit down. We're going to preach to the chairs. <laughs> because the Lord gave me a word to share today, and I'm going to share it to the chairs. Because what? He's, it's the principle that, that no matter where we are, we can minister to God and serve Him in our spaces that we are, no matter how bad it gets. There is a, in fact, when it's bad, it's an even better place to go to glorify God, most likely. There's a place, God has a purpose. We trust in God's word. We remember who he is. Remember what he's done for us. Remember who we are in him. The second resource we get is the spirit of God. That when Jesus was baptized, God said, He is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We rest on God's Word over our life. We rest on our relationship with Him. But we're also, we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. You have God's Spirit in you that leads you and comforts you and it guides you into all truth. This is something that we often miss in life that when you feel dry, when things in life are, are not working in your life, so often God wants us to trust there's a spiritual work that He wants to do in our hearts. And by the way, what's so interesting is the Word of God and the Spirit of God so often work together in the Scripture. I say this because so often the, those truths about who God is, those truths about who you are in Christ, those truths about what God is calling you to, there is often times that you have no desire for it. Right? People, I, someone will say, well, I'm just not really in the church right now. Or I'm not really, or whatever, I'm just having God's Word just isn't really feeding me right now. Or I'm not really feeling the worship, or whatever it might be. And, and, and of course there are seasons when we should obey the Lord even when we're not feeling it. I'm not, and by the way, I mean we should always obey the Lord even when we're not feeling it. But what so often I would encourage you to press into is to say, God, I need your Spirit to bring some fire to the Word to bring some reality to it, to help me actually see it, to open my eyes to its beauty and truth. This is why every week that I preach, I can go to the Word, but it doesn't become life to me until I pray over the Word and say, God, help me to see how it's life to me. Help me to know it experientially as life, as your guidance. Speak to me, God. Speak to me. Guide me in these places. So we need both the objective Word of God, but also the actual real experience of God's presence in our life, making that truth real to us. And God wants to do that in every one of our lives, not just my life as your, as your pastor, all of our lives, to make His presence real through the Spirit of God, to actually bring real comfort to you and your places, to, say, to go to God and say, I feel this, there's a lack in my life, I need... But I'm going to trust you to satisfy that. But I'm praying, Lord God, I'm waiting on you to come to lift me up on eagle's wings so I actually experience the strength and your presence in this space. It's, this is why it's so important in your life to take time not just to, to read God's Word, but also to pray and to meditate over God's Word so that you actually have time to experience God's presence in your life. To slow down and to know His, His, His presence. What he's, how he's leading you where you're at. The last thing we have that Jesus had is we have fasting. It's probably not what you're expecting. We have the provision of fasting to help us 
when we are suffering. To help us when God's Word isn't real to us. Isn't, we're not feeling it. When we're not experiencing it. When we're having trouble walking in it. Fasting has been throughout all history, history and God, God's people a way in which we connect with God. And something very lacking, it's my least favorite of spiritual disciplines, I'll be honest with you. I don't, there's never a day I wake up and think, I'm going to start fasting today. And, and, uh, but it's, it's this practice that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights to, to trust the Lord. And, to, and you can do something in your life like that. Lent is a season of 40 days to picture this season of connecting with God in a desert place. And by the way, I'm not saying that means you have to fast for 40 days. I want to explain a little bit about what fasting is so that you might consider how God might be calling you to fast. First of all, fasting, just what it means, is to deprive yourself of something that you want or that you actually kind of need in life, like food, for the purpose of experiencing that what you need most is to be satisfied with God. It is to make yourself sensitive to God's Word and God's presence in your life by Letting yourself go through wants. Letting yourself go through need. Letting yourself go through some, through having to actually give something up. And so people throughout history, have taken, or the church history, have taken the season of Lent. And by the way, in most traditions, you would fast from something, and I'll get to that in a second, for six days, and you would not fast on Sundays. There's always, there's, so Sunday would be like the, the non-fast day, the celebration day, the like, like break fast day. That would be most tradition. And, and there's no rule. And by the way, I'm not somebody who's going to be all ruling up on you. I'm not, no one's going to be taking it. I'm not going to be calling you up next week. Like, what are you fasting from? And like, how, you know, like, so like, this is all on what the Lord might be leading you to do. There's all kinds of different ways to fast. Food is the, the most common and is a good one to pick. We obviously live in a time of great abundance, and most of us are not even used to eating basic sus, like basic food. We're used to eating abundant food all the time. You could actually choose to fast if, you were, if you're like, man, I can't stand not eating or whatever like that. Or you could choose to fast from just fatty foods, basically, right? From sugar and from, you could choose to fast. I'm going to mostly, you know, there's a, a kind of what they call a Daniel fast where you could fast basically like basically oatmeal and water. If you can't do that, that could be a choice. And I, you might just say, I'm going to do that for one week. Or I'm going to just do that for one day. Or I'm just going to skip one meal. <laughs> like it doesn't, what, all of it doesn't matter. The point is to, is to, to use whatever God is leading you to connect with Him in a deeper way. There's also fasting from just basically anything that you like in life for, the, for a purpose. You could say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna to fast from sugar, or I'm not going to drink the drinks I normally drink, like coffee or soda pop or, or whatever. I'm not, it, it, could be, it could be fast from some kind of consumption of something. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to spend money on myself in, in any kind of, like, consumer kind of ways. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy clothes during the season. I'm not gonna go out to eat during the season. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm just gonna do the basics, right? You, you know a great thing to fast one is, is to figure out is to fast from your phone. To turn this thing on like to turn this you know it'd be a great like if you could you could try to find a way and I realize some people work and have to use their phone, but in all of the normal times of your life you can you can turn this thing, you can look it up. You can turn it into dumb mode, okay? But make it a dumb phone and just a phone, right? Like a phone. And fast, and fast from screens, basically. You could fast from, it would be, be one of my most meaningful fasts I ever did, I fasted from all entertainment. 
for a week. That was rough. I was a teenager at the time, actually. That was real rough. But I learned how to get in touch with slowing down my life to just read and to pray and to, and, and to read God's Word. It was a wonderful time of, of, of reading God's Word and, and, and just trusting in Him and not going to TV and all kinds of other things. So lots of things. You could, you could pick all kinds of things. If you look up Lent and all those kinds of things, you'll get all kinds of ideas of what. But again, the idea is to go without something that you do actually like and want or want or need for a, for a season so that you can connect with God. And it could be one day. You could pick a new thing every week. But I would encourage you to make a time to say, I'm going to pick a time. And the point would be to replace that with more times of prayer and God's Word in your life. But without something that you can have more prayer, more connection with God, more connection with His Word, so that you might trust Him and find, find Him to satisfy you in the desert spaces that you might be going through in this season of your life. Worship team, you guys can come on up. My prayer for us all is that when we're tempted this week to soothe our suffering, like I said, in some way, we're all tempted to soothe our suffering to try to meet our needs or our wants in a way that will ultimately hurt ourselves or hurt the people around us. And my prayer for all of us is in those spaces that we would find that Jesus is our source. It is not Our source is not in ourselves. Our source is not in the things of the world. Our source is in God. He is our provision in the desert. He is our healer. He is our comforter. He is our strength. He is our purpose. I pray that we would all find this to be a time to connect with Him. As we are on this journey to the promised land, we might experience Him in the desert along the way. Dear God, I just pray for us all. I pray that even as we worship right now, this could be a time of celebrating of, of we, that we get to come in and, and enjoy and to feast on your presence, God. That we are celebrating all the provision that we have in Jesus Christ right now. That you will lead us and you will provide for us this week, Lord. I pray also you would help us to have insight from you, your spirit on how we might overcome the temptations that we all uniquely face, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.